Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I'm here with Danny Hatch, and this is our very first episode. So welcome. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things that are Utah-related in the film world, about Utah productions, uh, movies and stories that are just set in Utah, and, of course, just movies that you can watch in Utah that are produced elsewhere. So there's going to be a lot of stuff to cover, and uh, maybe we should start off by telling a little bit about ourselves. Dan, yeah, you want to sure start? thing. Uh, so excited to finally get around to doing this. So thank you so much, Josh. Uh, my name's Danny Hatch. I am a film student at Weber State. I grew up in Utah in Vernal, so middle of nowhere. Um, but I just, I always loved watching movies as a kid. I'm a big Spielberg fan. I love those classic films so, so much. And now I'm studying, hoping to become a producer and help other creative film-minded people um, realize their dreams. But for now, I'm utilizing one of the very few talents I possess, which is just talking about movies incessantly. So really, really excited to be here. So, so <laughs> modest. So few, few, one, of, one of many talents, I must say, uh, from, from what I've observed so far. Um, yeah, but no, my name, is, my name is Josh Terry. Uh, I have spent the, the better part of the last decade doing some kind of a film review, film criticism work. Um, I spent three and a half years on KJAZ doing the uh, KJAZ movie show. Uh, I spent about seven years writing weekly reviews for the Deseret News. Um, even did movie reviews back in grad school, back at Utah State up in Logan. So it's been uh, a lot of stuff here and there and done a little bit of uh, a little bit of production and other kind of random things. But uh, yeah, just kind of like, you know, you said, Danny, I, I've always loved movies, always been drawn to them. And so, you know, the media has been a part of my life for my whole life. And so it's gonna be kind of fun to take on a, a new challenge, right? So uh, I've done a little bit of TV, a lot of writing, and and so now let's see uh, where this podcast thing goes that seems so trendy with the young <laughs> folks these days. With my generation. <laughs> with, your, with your generation, right. Yeah, so it's it, it may become a theme as we go along that uh, that there, we're, we're coming from separate generations, <laughs> and uh, I, guess, I guess I'm officially the old man of the production, so... So that'll that'll be fun. But uh, well, let's. I, I, so you know, we got a lot of different things we're going to do here. We're you know going to be talking about new movies that have come out. We're going to be reviewing, of course, kind of the new exciting releases and not so exciting releases. And uh, but then we'll also be doing a lot of focus on what's going on in Utah as far as productions or uh, you know certainly things that that are Utah related. Um, you know, and we're going to be bringing people in to to do some interviews and to. Uh, go over news and, and different interesting things. And, of course, we'll just be kind of talking about some of our favorite stuff along the way, too. It's not going to be all uh, immediate as far as the, the news cycle. Uh, but speaking of the news, let's go ahead and jump in because I think we've got a couple things of interest to talk about that are, uh, that are happening Yeah, right we've now, got right? a lot of exciting things going on, um, especially now. You know, um, Utah production is hitting this all-time high with, I think it's like 28 current productions um, so many releases, so it's really, really exciting to see. Uh, one thing that we'll be seeing by the time this episode airs is that uh, The Chosen Season 2's final episode will be premiering, and um, the whole story of The Chosen Season 2 is very, very interesting from a production standpoint and how it ended up coming here to Utah. You know, of course, there's the Jerusalem set in Goshen, and the director, Dallas Jenkins, really wanted to film season two there, but since it's a set created by the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, it's typically only used for church purposes, but 
they got approval from president of the church and they began filming there. So it's really exciting to see this collaboration of different faiths, which is what The Chosen is. Um, so many people of different faiths have come together as actors and crew members, all showing their love for these Bible stories, right? So I think it's kind of cool that mm -hmm. Utah has kind of put in a, a little bit of their resources to kind of help in that purpose. And you said yeah. that you haven't seen any of The Chosen yet, right? Oh, you outed me right so at the sorry. beginning. Yeah, I really, no, I'm I, not as caught no, up it's either. Fine. So I mean, I I can't really blame <laughs> you for it. No, it's uh, I I have been hearing quite a bit about it for a little while now, and just you know, it just hasn't made it to the top of the the to do list, I guess. But uh, no, and and I I've, I guess that's one of the things I've heard is that you know it's a really great quality oh, yeah. production. Uh, that the the interpretation has been uh, really engaging and interesting, and so so it's it's definitely on the list. Um, but uh, I mean, obviously, it was more important for me to go see Fast and Furious <laughs> Nine last night. So you need Jesus. So, yeah, now. we all have our we all have our priorities, <laughs> right? So uh, yeah, but no, that well, that one will we'll be spending some more time yeah. talking about that. I'm sure in the uh, you know the episodes to come. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as of as of now. It's just something I've been hearing about and hearing yeah. good things. Now we'll definitely want to cover it more. Um, at the time of recording here, of course, not everything is out yet. So hopefully we'll have some time to just watch everything and give a good review on it. Because it, it is a very incredible story from you know, the content that it provides and also just the background logistically of what they're doing with it. So we'll definitely come back to that one. Right. In other news of what's being filmed in Utah, we have Scenes from the Glittering World, which is a documentary by Jared Jenkins about the rural community called Navajo Mountain down by the Arizona-Utah border. It follows three high schoolers who go to Navajo Mountain High School. Jenkins was really intrigued by the story of these kids in a small town on a robotics team, and he ended up revealing this whole story about a community, about the beauty and the struggles of living in this area. And it's been really highly reviewed. Um, I saw some clips and the scenery alone, the cinematography is spectacular. It's very, very beautiful. And not only did they utilize the setting, it looks like they really utilized the people there. There was a lot of charm, a lot of humor, and you can tell it's, it's gonna be a very emotionally gripping film. Yeah, I'm ex that that sounds really exciting to me. I've I've got I've, I've developed kind of a connection to that area over the last few years because I I do a lot of photography, and and for the last few years, uh, usually around spring break time uh, in March, I head down to Monument Valley to to do some do some shooting and. In the course, I've been able to kind of, you know, get familiar with the area. And, and the first time I went down there, I actually took a tour. And because of the time of the year, I wound up like the only person on the tour. And so it was just me and the tour guide for four hours. And, of course, he was, you know, uh, a local, uh, you know, resident on the reservation. And so we just talked for like four hours. And, and in addition to seeing all this cool stuff, you know, he was telling me all about you know, what his life was like. And he had, you know, because he had kids and, and some of them were still on their reservation. Some of them had already uh, moved to other cities and were pursuing, you know, a job. I think, I think he had a daughter who was a nurse and, and different things like that. And so I, I bet this is, you know, 
just like you say, I, I, I think that there's going to be some really fascinating material, and I, I fully expect it to look gorgeous because that area is just amazing. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's really going to deliver, and it seems like it's in high demand. I was checking it out last night, and it's sold out for the entire week. So even though the premiere is going to end by the time this episode's coming out, like no, one's, no one else is going to be able to see it because the tickets are all sold out, which is a wonderful problem to have. So I really hope that we're going to sure, yeah. <laughs> see more of it, more releases, maybe come to some theaters um, so we can show that support for this project. Yeah, no, I, th I think that'll be, that'll be really interesting mm -hmm. to see. I think it was really interesting. What really struck me is, um, so growing up in Vernal, we had a reservation a Ute reservation close by. I went to school with some kids who lived on the reservation. And I remember this one time, there was this beauty pageant sort of thing that they did. And then it was held at the school, and they did talents and answering questions and, you know, the whole shebang. Um, the outfits were incredible, and the dancing was really, really neat. Uh, the problem that I had with it is just that it was hosted at the school but like near the end of the day or like after hours or something so most kids didn't stay for it and i mm. i think we do need more opportunities to really see and appreciate that culture because there's so much of it here in utah right oh yeah yeah absolutely kind of like i was i was saying it it's just been over the last few years that i've spent a lot of time kind of in that corner but as you say there's there's reservations up by up by Vernal where you're at and it's it's a very big part of of Utah and and its kind of history and, and culture and I think this is going to be this is going to be a really great way to explore some of that yeah. oh, absolutely so keeping on the lookout for scenes from the glittering world hopefully it'll be a little more accessible to all of us <laughs> yeah, right. It won't be. It won't. It won't only be shown after oh my hours. Gosh. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Nice. Now, this last bit of news that I have is a little more on the funny side. I think it's hilarious. So, like I said, there are twenty current productions and seven new recently announced, and one of which is Netflix's Real Housewives of the North Pole, which is this holiday <laughs> comedy movie. Oh man, I think it's hilarious that they want to create this and that they want to create it here but timing wise we just had the release last year of real housewives right. of salt lake city which exactly. I, I saw just the yeah. trailer of it and oh my goodness like it's it's what you would expect you know it's just oh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean no surprises at all but right. also seeing the scenery of like the mountains and temples and you know whatever like those familiar things but then also seeing that typical you know trash reality show material you know it was just a weird yeah. combination but you know maybe there is some kind of fascination with it that people really enjoyed and um because of that we're also gonna get um real housewives of the north pole up here yeah and well there's a, there's a much better chance of me watching oh Twitter, absolutely you know, because the the former i <laughs> yeah i don't know i guess the diplomatic thing to say would be to each his own, but <laughs> I really, you know, when it when it comes to reality television, this stuff, even even if it wasn't a a local production, you know, about Salt Lake and all that kind of thing, I still, oh my goodness, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's 
it's interesting because I guess my one my one hesitation with the North Pole project, and this is this is kind of a just a you know an yeah. aside here, but my my concern is that it's too spot on. I don't want it to be too close to what a real reality television production would mm. look and feel like because I wouldn't want to watch it. So, so for example, uh, I've been re-watching 30 Rock on Hulu. It's just kind of one of my TV shows I've just been rotating through while eating food <laughs> during the day. And uh, for hours and hours, that's like all I do is eat food and watch Hulu. But uh, anyway, um, so in I'm just going through in season five, and it's it's season five is when when Tracy's wife gets her own reality show, and then there's one episode of the show that is presented as the reality show, like as his wife's show. What's really kind of fascinating about it is that it's so spot on, like it's a perfect reproduction of the reality TV show style. And it's of course it's Thirty Rock and it's you know brilliant writing, but I hate the episode <laughs> because I hate like it, yeah. reality television. It's too yeah. It's like this is this feels like the real thing and it's annoying enough that I just mm-hmm. don't want to watch it. You know, so it's almost it's almost like too good for its own yeah. good. You know, and or too act too accurate for its own good. I I actually ran into this years ago with a a John Cleese bit. Um, it wasn't Monty Python, but it was kind of spun off of that. John Cleese did this this short series of, of sketches that t- uh, together were called uh, How to Irritate People. And they were these, it was actually kind of an early version of kind of the awkward humor that became more popular, you know, in, in recent, maybe your generation would be familiar with. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, but what was weird about it was that they were these little vignettes about people being annoying and they were just so annoying that I didn't like yeah. watching them because they were so effective. They were so spot on. And it's just, it's kind of interesting how something can be accurate, but its accuracy undercuts it. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'd be, and I don't know. That was no, kind of a long No, tangent. I think it's an interesting point. Um, it kind of needs to have a little bit of a self-awareness and something that it's grounded in so it's not too immersed in the reality show look. I, I had this uh, a conversation that this is reminding me of with my husband after we watched Jojo Rabbit and how it was such ah. effective satire because there are moments where it kind of pulls you out of the propaganda and it pulls you out of all the silliness and it has moments yeah. of grounding you in reality and hey, this is the message we're trying to say. And my husband brought up this pamphlet called A Modest Proposal that came out years ago that was saying, hey, the way to fix the poverty issue is that the poor people should sell their children to the rich people for them to eat the children. So, you know, there are less mouths to feed, the poor can get money and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So it was obviously satire. But near the end, it says, well, we could just have the rich help the poor and you know do all these other things but that's not going to happen but it has this moment where it pulls back says the actual message and so you you can understand it a little bit better and know where it's coming coming from and and so i see that right. with this um issue that you you're kind of worried about with north pole is that you know if it doesn't have that moment of 
pulling back and maybe grounding ourselves in actual reality, you know, um, it, it's right, going to be right. just too unwatchable. Yeah. No, and that's, I, I think that's, that's an interesting comment, right? Because, you know, there's the question of how, how explicit does mm -hmm. it need to be? And should people be able to kind of pick up, pick up on it on yeah. their own? Or is it if it's because like in these examples we're talking about here, if it's so spot on and doesn't leave that area, it's just, you know, hard <laughs> to watch, you know, and, and it, it could be it could be to this that I really just have a big problem with with reality. Hey, rightly so, rightly you know, at so. Least that that branch <laughs> yeah. of it, right? Because there are there are so many different kind of subgenres now, but uh, and somehow it's still here after all these years. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, speaking of still here after all but, these uh, years, I'm really excited <laughs> to hear about your experience with there, Black Widow and all that Marvel stuff. Now, that's, that's a segue. <laughs> that's a segue. Very nicely done. Very nicely done. No, uh, I was just kind of thinking, you know, there, there's going to be this category of movies that I don't know if we put an asterisk by it or if we just kind of think about them as this special little mm -hmm. fraternity. All the movies, the the big ones that we were thinking we were going to see last year, and that all got pushed back to this year, there's there's going to be, at least for me, I think I'm always going to have this association with, oh yeah, that was one of the movies that I thought I was going to see in the spring of mm -hmm. 2020, and didn't see until the summer of 2021. You know, because we've already got, like, Quiet Place Two, was, literally, we had a a screening scheduled for that right when the, the pandemic happened, and so that was canceled. Uh, we didn't have a Black Widow screening scheduled, but that was definitely... It was coming up. That was yeah. probably like, yeah, oh yeah, I want to I say, I, I confirmed it, but I think that originally it was supposed to be like an April 2020 release. And of course, you know, now we're July 2021, and it's uh, it's finally here, which, you know, I don't know if that puts any additional pressure on it, because... You know, it, I don't know that it's had that much of a big buildup, but since we've been kind of waiting this long to see it, and then of course I think it also is distinctive because it's how many now? I mean, because obviously we've had all of the the TV series, mm -hmm. but I think this is just the second movie that's come out since Endgame, right? I mean, because there was the Spider-Man yeah. uh, Far From Home, but I think this is the 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 next one. And I think so you're right. Yeah, that sounds kind right. Of, yeah. So the question of what's going to, you know, what's the Marvel Universe going to look like on the big screen post-Endgame, you know, this is one of those movies. And, of course, Black Widow itself, I think, has, has always kind of had a bit of a buildup because there's been this feeling like, hey, you know, it's about time we give Scarlett Johansson her own movie because the the Black Widow character is is so great and has always been kind of, treated as a kind of a ancillary character, kind of secondary to some of the other mm -hmm. Avengers. And uh, so altogether, there's just a lot of context and background for this movie. Um, and so with that in mind, I think it's pretty good. I really, you know, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rank it as one of my favorite Marvel movies, um, but I would certainly say that it's rewatchable. Yeah. And, and I don't think people are going to be disappointed by it. Uh, it didn't blow me away. I mean, just kind of giving like mm -hmm. the big picture take before I even really get into the 
the substance of it, but uh, I mean, it's got some really great things going for it. it primarily for me was the cast. I thought the cast was awesome. Um, so this this movie essentially, it's got a little bit of an origin story element to it, but it's mostly taking place um, in between Civil War and Infinity War. So after the the Sokovia Accords are passed and there's the the schism between Team Cap and Team Iron Man and all that, uh, everybody kind of goes their separate ways and and as this film opens, at least in its kind of its its core uh, narrative, uh, Natasha Romanoff, you know, Black Widow is on the run uh, and and trying to evade evade capture, and in the process uh, reconnects with some of the people that she ran with in the old days, black when back when she was getting red on her ledger, as <laughs> as the expression was going. And, uh, of course, before this, there's a little bit of a, a flashback that shows her, her early childhood and, and how she was set up with a family, but they were basically a family of spies. And even her and her little sister, even though they weren't really actively you know, operatives, they were still posing as, as something they weren't. And I won't give too many details away from that because it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a fun thing to, to see, you know, to, to kind of unpack where she's coming from, but basically, you know, it's it's no spoiler to reveal that um, this core family is the you know the main characters in this movie because if you see <laughs> the trailers at all, they've they've given a lot of that uh, given a lot of that away. So so she's you know her her spy parents, I guess if you put it that way, uh, you know David Harbor plays this. Uh, basically this Soviet superhero who was kind of pushed into this undercover role. Um, I think he was the the Red Guardian, I think is his character name. Um, Rachel Weiss is the scientist and she's the mom. And then uh, now I apologize if I pronounce this wrong, but uh, it's Florence Pugh. She plays her uh, Black Widow's younger sister. And, and of course, you know, so we see them a little bit in kind of like this, you know, back in the, back in the nineties flashback, but then they are brought together through a sequence of events, uh, that take place in, you know, modern times, contemporary times, and, uh, basically have to chase down the man who was behind the entire Black Widow spy network, because, even though Black Widow is Black Widow, that's basically a term for all of the the female spies that are recruited as children and go through all of the training and all of the the awful the awful things and uh, you know the psycho- psychological uh, influencing and different stuff. And so they're the good guys trying to chase down Ray Winstone plays the he's the guy who was heading up the the program. So it's kind of a, in a way, there's a there's a little bit of born identity to it, I guess oh, you could say. Because yeah, because Scarlett Johansson's character, you know, and, and we've we've kind of known this over the years, is that she's she was part of this, you know, Soviet spy network that uh, was basically exploiting, you know, children and and stuff, and and it goes into that, and it's it's I mean it's never you know, super graphic. It's a pretty straight up PG-13 action movie, but 
but uh, it's definitely it's definitely got some darker tones to it, and uh, it's cool. Like I, I I enjoyed it. It didn't. I guess I guess the way that I would put it is that the the third act didn't really blow me away, and maybe it's just because there was no big blue sky beam <laughs> and and the world about to end type of scenario, which, you know, hopefully that's not giving it away. I mean, it's it's actually kind of nicer to have things a little more closer to uh, a, little, a little more yeah. grounded. But, uh, you know, it was it was good, but I don't know that I would, again, put it up there with the, the best of the Marvel movies. Cer- certainly not with kind of like the, you know, the best Avengers movies, but but I would I would rank it as one of the better standalone solo movies if that's a a good context for it you know some kind of a three three and a half stars out of four type thing but uh, but again the thing I think I enjoyed the most was the cast um, well it looked like uh, a fabulous the, I, cast I remember, just yeah. seeing any behind the scenes stuff clips and everything like I'm I, that's what right. I'm really excited to see is oh yeah and the, and their interaction. I, I really do think is kind of the strongest because, like I said, the I think that the story and the plot is yeah. just fine. It's good. It's it's not you know gonna gonna blow you away. There's some cool action to it, um, but it's not like a wall to wall action mm-hmm. type thing. Um, it's more that it's enjoyable to see these actors playing these roles and interacting with each other. Um, you know, because if you're a fan of Stranger Things, you got David Harbour. Um, you know, Florence Pugh was in uh, the recent uh, Little Women, and she was in uh, uh, Midsummer, which I didn't see, but I know that she uh, she was in that, as well as oh, Fighting with My Family, she was in, and so so she's really fun, and she's you you almost get the sense that given what happened in later films, that she could be the next Bla- Black Widow, you know, if that's. And I don't know, not having read the comic books, I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe that's what everybody already knows, and I'm just <laughs> late to the boat. But uh, That's late so party. interesting. There's a lot there. Um, I, I do, I, I can see that whole setup thing, because I, I think, you know, Black Widow's death was just, it leaves this gaping hole, and that's why we were all excited for this movie to come out, right? Because we miss her so much. And I, I think incorporating yeah. the younger sister like that would be kind of an interesting thing. So And knowing what Disney does with Marvel, like lots of setups all the time. So that might be something to look out for. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And they, and they continue to do that. Like without, without going into it too much. I mean, there are, there are after credit scenes and there's definitely a nod towards, you know, future, uh, future productions and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's a, I mean, if you've been waiting breathlessly for the last (laughs) year and a half, I don't know that it's going to fulfill all of your, your wildest hopes and dreams, but I definitely think it's, it's worth it. Um, worth, worth seeing. It's really a huge relief for me to hear you say that all about it. Cause I think there's so much working against it, which is like, you know, that buildup of the hype and then also going back in time. I wasn't sure how far back, like I thought this was an origin story and that we were going you know, back to the start, maybe before Iron Man or something like that, but kind of like yeah. going into this in-between phase, that's really interesting. But then also, you know, what was yeah. kind of tricky with um, the Spider-Man movie after Endgame is here was this huge big event, and of course you have to scale down from there. You know, how do you how do you yeah. scale down but like have it exciting enough where it doesn't feel like a huge letdown? So considering that it had mm-hmm. all this going against it, it sounds like it it performed really well. 
Yeah, no, I, and again, I mean, I'm just one <laughs> voice and I haven't really spent a lot of time, you know, getting feedback from other people, but I, I was perfectly fine with it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it's, I mean, there are, there are certain elements with a movie like this and a movie from this genre that are going to be limiting in terms of tension and stuff, you know, I mean, knowing when this is taking place and already knowing what's going to happen in the future, mm -hmm. you know. But of course, there's never really any question like, is this superhero going to die? Well, of course not, because <laughs> it's superhero, a superhero you <laughs> yeah. know, and yeah. And so, so it's, you know, for, for me, it's always going to be kind of kept at a certain level in terms of how good the movie can really be. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. I think that, you know, Scarlett Johansson's character has been, you know, certainly one of the more interesting and compelling ones mm -hmm. over the years is we've kind of just gotten bits and pieces of, of the backstory and the background. And again, with, with the great cast and, you know, uh, Kate Shortland is the director and has done a, done a good job. And, you know, it's, it's too bad that, you know, we won't see, I presumably won't see a lot of Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow sequels. Um, but uh, it does seem like it's set up that there could be, some kind of a continuation of the the Black Widow mm -hmm. narrative. So, but speaking of continuations, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and continuation and continuation and continuation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little little while ago, I didn't I didn't finally see it till last night. I had a conflict during the press screening, but uh, I have now seen the ninth movie in the Fast and Furious Ooh, franchise. Congratulations, <laughs> you survived. F nine, thank you. <laughs> it feels like an accomplishment. It's uh no I. You know, I still can't decide whether they need to stop making these movies or whether they need to keep making them for 50 years. <laughs> you know, it's because there's, there's such a weird balance between how fun and crazy and over the top mm -hmm. they are and how ridiculous and stupid and bad they are. And... It's like you change your mind from scene to scene yep. <laughs> because, I mean, the the credit I can give them, and, you know, maybe I'll say this before I get into the new movie itself too much, but, uh, like, I think of them, I, I tend to think of this franchise in comparison to the Michael Bay Transformers movies because they're both just absurd, right, and and consciously ridiculous, and and of course the the before and after of the Fast and Furious movies is just completely hilarious. You know, if you when when I first was introduced to these movies, um, I started reviewing regularly right before the sixth one came out, and I had never seen any of the others. So I went back and I watched the first one because I thought, oh, okay, I at least want to have an idea of who these characters are before I go see the sixth movie in, this, in the series, right? And just, you know, when you consider, okay, what has happened in between the first movie How and the sixth? How did we get here? Yeah, like, this first movie is about some street racers and an undercover cop. And the sixth movie, they're like international super spy team, you know, Mission Impossible, like, <laughs> what? And and my poor friend who went and saw this with me last night, he hadn't seen any of them until the ninth. Like, he saw the, he, like me, he went and watched the first one, and then he watched the ninth was the next one, which is just an even more 
tremendous gap. And, and <laughs> it's so crazy. But where the, I think the thing that redeems it is that with the Fast and Furious movies, I feel like I'm in on the joke. <laughs> like they're not, they're not trying to do anything. They're not trying to get away no. with anything. They know that this is over the top and goofy and silly and crazy and ridiculous. And so it's just kind of, we're just going to have fun and just come up with the craziest ideas possible. Like I, I literally think that they have these brainstorming sessions in the writer's room where they're just trying to come up with the craziest way possible to like, what's, what's an even more absurd way to have Vin Diesel wreck a car and not die, (laughs) you know, and, and to, and, and like the, it doesn't even have airbags going off and he's still walking away from these things without a scratch. But, uh, but, but again, with the Transformers movies, I don't feel like I'm in on the joke. I feel like I'm being exploited. (laughs) There, there's nothing to laugh at there. It's just, why am I doing this? Yeah. I mean, there's plenty to laugh right. at, but you're mostly just laughing at yourself for being the fool sitting in the theater. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, because those, those feel so much more cynical to me, <laughs> where it, there's, this, there's this sense like, well, we know that the audience likes particular things, mm. you know, explosions and, you know, scantily clad women and fart jokes and slow panning shots of people standing up at a low angle out of a car, right? And and so we're going to give you three hours of those things in a loop, yeah. right? And that's basically what those movies are. And, and it's just chaos and it's excessive and there's nothing fun mm-hmm. about it. Whereas the Fast and Furious movies are fun. Yeah. And so F9 is fun and it's stupid and it's absurd and ridiculous, but it's right on par with what you've come to expect over at least the last four of these movies. Because it really did. I mean, how, how many of them have you seen? I saw one of them, I think. And I, I don't remember all? it very well. I don't even know which one it was. Like, I had a friend who told me. <laughs> I'd ask you to describe it, but it might not yeah, narrow it I'd, down. I don't, I don't remember a single thing from it. I know that I did watch it because I had this friend who was super, super into this series, kind of for the same reasons you're saying. It's, it's fun. It's exciting. There is an appeal to it. Um, it's ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. there, there is an audience for it, a valid audience for it. And I, I was wanting to show her some movies that I love, so I think I brought out like Braveheart and maybe we watched some Bourne movies or something and... Um, and we watched uh-huh. hers, and I, I was definitely biased towards the movies that I brought. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I, I don't follow it very well. I've been on the ride at Universal Studios, and that's yeah. most of my exposure there. <laughs> and, and I feel like that experience enough is, oh, hey, you know, Vin Diesel is the size of the helicopter, and he's bringing it down. You know, like, just stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, what? I'm, I'm thinking here, with what you're saying with the whole Transformers connection... That maybe, I mean, it's totally like that still, but maybe what makes it so good is it's Mm -hmm. kind of in a way sort of like what Mission Impossible is doing. Where Mission Impossible at least still has a story and characters we care about and stuff like that. Sorry if you do care about the characters in Fast and Furious. I haven't seen any of the movies. I'm not trying to offend (laughs) you. Um, But, you know, 
the thing that I'm always interested in with Mission Impossible movies is what is the big stunt? You know, there's this is the movie with this yeah. stunt. Right. And, right. you know, maybe this is more like a, a, a movie that's a technical hurrah where it, it, they're doing these uh-huh. spectacular effects. I mean, you know, spectacle maybe is a little bit up for debate, but something that, wow, this has never been done before. How are we going to shoot this? And what's it going to look like? Yeah. Let's go There's... for it. There is definitely, yeah, there's, there's definitely a sense that they're trying to up the ante each yeah. time uh, to, to the point with this movie. And, and again, I mean, this, this happens late enough in the film that I don't really want to go into detail because I do think it's worth experiencing in real time. Uh, but they, they, they go someplace they have not gone before. <laughs> and, and, it's, and there's kind of this, you're simultaneously stunned and rolling your eyes, you know, and... <laughs> And and it kind of leaves you going, okay, well, I don't know where they go from here, but you know, if they put another one of these out, I'm, I guess I'm going to be watching it. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, and it's 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 just such a, such a strange combination of effect of of, of elements, yeah. right? Because it does have this Mission Impossible team super spy element that's that's basically been in place since about the fifth movie, I would say. Um, but then there's also this really strong family theme and there's kind of like this moral, you know, bringing people together from different backgrounds and, and you know, but we're all family because we care about each other and, and this kind of thing. And, and there's this loyalty and, and this kind of stuff. And then there's muscle cars, right? Because it's, it's – I was just thinking about this last night as I was watching F9, which I guess for the sake of, you know, recapping the plot is that, you know – the team has to get together to fight off or to, to recover. Well, actually, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same as like <laughs> most of them where you have, there's some kind of, you know, magic tech that's going to destroy the world unless, you know, Vin Diesel and his, you know, Dominic Toretto and his team are able to, to get it first. And it brings, always brings back characters from previous movies and, you know, and introduces new characters that are going to be part of the team moving forward. And it's, you know, just kind of this, this chaotic thing. But, but even though it's this super spy international intrigue, you know, Mission Impossible type thing, there's this consistent thread of racing cars. And so even if you're on this obscure South, you know, Central American island, racing down and, and trying to get away from helicopters, you're doing it in a souped up Mustang or, or some kind of a, you know, a souped up Chevy charger. And it's so, so it's so absurd that like, okay, well, you know, no, this would never play out this way, but because this series has its roots in fast cars, cars have to be a part of it somehow. And it's just kind of this cheeky, absurd thing that is just, is just nuts. Just really, really nuts. Um, but because we do need to move on, let's talk about something (laughs) you saw and that I have so far refused to see. (laughs) Sounds good. Um, well, I recently got to watch In the Heights, which is a film adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Broadway musical that came out in 2008. I thought it was this original musical, but apparently it had it, had these Broadway roots, which I think really helped it in an industry that I'm having a hard time with movie musicals lately, but this one was 
amazing. I loved it so much. And Josh, you and I have talked before about how it's hard to review a movie that you know isn't for you. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah. Obviously, right, you're right. not the target audience, right? But for this one, it's it's hard for me to review because I feel like it's... So, because you uh, yeah, are the target so audience? it's so perfect for me. I can't be unbiased. You're so I blinded am. I really by... am. <laughs> oh, but it's, it's so amazing. And I just had this wonderful experience going. And, um, yeah, it's it, it has this great ensemble cast. They, um, they're from... All, they have all these different Latin America roots, and they come together as this one community in Washington Heights, and they each have their own little suenitos, as they're called, the little dreams, and you, you really care about them. You care about these goals that they have and their discovery, while also just admiring this unity they have. And one bias that I have towards this, um, in favor of this, I guess, is that I really care about Hispanic communities in the United States. I spent five months in Nicaragua, and it was a wild adventure. <laughs> and I enjoyed some things, some things. It was, you know, this obvious culture shock. And I was evacuated from there because there was a lot of protesting, violent protesting going on. I, I was serving a church service mission in Nicaragua, and then I got moved to Provo. And I got to yeah. see the Hispanic communities here in Utah from this different lens now that I had spent time in Central America coming here and being all like, oh, you know uh -huh. what? I know where these people have come from, but I know why they want to be here now. And I got to yeah. see that so much with this movie. And it just, like, it was pulling on my heart for those people that I, I had met. And it's like, oh, man, I know exactly what this is like. Or, oh, this shop. Or, oh, these kind of little phrases. Like, it just, it felt so I don't know, perfect for me because of those experiences I had, you know? Yeah, no, 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 that makes a lot of sense. You know, when you, I think when you have, and maybe, maybe that's kind of, you know, one of the challenges of filmmaking is, is making connections with people who don't have the background as well as, you know, being true to those who are familiar with the subject mm -hmm. matter, you know, and, and, but uh, what's, what, what's interesting to me that you mentioned was that, you've had kind of a problem with a lot of recent Hollywood music. <laughs> yeah, so, I definitely so. want to circle back to that. Yeah, no, because and and because I follow exactly what you're saying. I think that, you know, if you're if you're connecting to the people in a movie and to the culture and to kind of the atmosphere, you know, that that goes a long way. I mean, there are definitely movies that I've appreciated a lot more because I've had more of a connection and more of kind yeah. of my own my own history and background with the areas and the neighborhoods, you know that uh that are being portrayed um but what is so so what is it i guess first that you've you've struggled with with recent musicals and how does this one succeed in spite of that trend well um i have to go back to the beginning when i was a, a wee lass <laughs> and um i i grew up with all sorts of movie musicals i watched Sound of Music, Newsies was one of my favorites and still is one of my favorite movie musicals of all time. I loved Oliver. There's just, you know, so many of these classic movies and I think it's so fundamental to Hollywood. And I was thinking about this. Um, a movie that I think shows this very well about how rooted uh, musical theater is 
in movies is Hail Caesar by the Coen Brothers, where they're kind of okay. these scenes showing this musical that they're filming. And it shows that when it's a musical movie, this is when everyone brings in their A-game. Like, the actors are super talented. Like, they can literally fly in the air, as the movie shows. Um, they're, they're perfect. Uh-huh. They, they can sing. They can dance. And then the directors, they have to capture it all. And the writing, you, you need to have, you know, beautiful lyrics. And the songs have to be catchy and something you can dance to and you want to sing along to. So I think with Hollywood movie musicals, it's where, you know, everyone is working so hard to create this, you know, perfect top-notch material to create this complete show, right? And that's uh-huh. that's why I loved them growing up. Um, they're they're so high quality, I think. And lately, I've I've noticed that there's kind of this disconnect, sort of, between these different departments. So, I think it kind of for me started with La La Land, which has this amazing story, great actors, but the music is kind of forgettable. You know, like I I didn't hmm. see it as a great musical. I I thought it was a great movie. And then we got the reverse with The Greatest Showman, which I love the soundtrack. I still listen to it all the time. But what was the story beyond just this conglomeration of music videos? <laughs> there, there was no story. There was no development. It was really lacking. I mean, other than misrepresenting oh. P.T. Barnum as a hero. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> some, some champion of the... <laughs> it's problematic as well. But even, like, let's say we switched him out with some other character and it wasn't a historical movie. Like, what, what is it? Uh-huh. You know? It's, it's great yeah. songs. It's just a whole bunch of music videos. And then there was Cats. Oh, are we going to go into Cats? <laughs> maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> maybe maybe Which, we should try to no, stay No, but more Cats focused. is a great example because here is a movie that is a Broadway musical. It is adapted from it. And I watched this interesting video about it. Um... Shout out to YouTube channel Sideways, which makes me feel like I'm a, you know, musical expert now. He's he's brilliant when it comes to all things music and movies. Uh-huh. Um, but he talked about how the movie, ma- the changes that they made, took away the whole point of the musical, and um, I thought that was very very interesting. So check that out if you want to know more about it. But you know. So there is a point to that music. There, there is a saying. point to it. I'll, I'll briefly explain it. Typically, a protagonist has this I want song, and like, you know, they have this goal, right? And then mm-hmm. the other characters, typically antagonists, will have these, you know, all about me songs. So cats kind of reverse that, where all the characters have these here I am songs, but then it's not until memory when we have an I want song. And it's like, that's when we have our protagonist. So they kind of flipped the script there, which was kind of brilliant. And there's a lot uh-huh. of interesting stuff done with the music. It is very well written. It's absurd. Um, but there's a reason there's an audience for it, right? Now, with the movie, they made changes where memory doesn't serve that purpose anymore. And we have a different protagonist. And, you know, you're, you're totally defeating that artistic goal of the movie. So... Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it, so I guess what I'm seeing overall with all these movies is that they're missing things, right? They're, they're not fully investing in the story, or they're not fully investing in the music. They're not, they're missing the whole point altogether. But this movie just hmm. nailed every aspect, 
but not like Greatest Showman, where it's like, yeah, that was high quality all across the board, but it was all interwoven. There was one song in particular where this character singing about her childhood and these pressures she feels now, and we cut over to this little girl who's dancing this dance that kind of, the choreography kind of matches what she's saying. Not exactly, but you can, it, it, it's so well connected to what's being sung that these different elements are becoming greater than the sum of its parts. You know, so it's just all together. It's, hmm. it's this beautiful story and it pulls you in. And again, I'm, I'm biased towards it, but like just looking at it from an objective standpoint with the cinematography, with the choreography, the, the costumes, the acting, the lyrics, it's, it's all just very, very well done. And um, I, I really, really enjoyed watching it. It is very long. It does feel like, you know, you're going in for a Broadway musical. It actually didn't feel that way. The pacing was really, really quick. But I went in there at like 1230. Then, you know, we had the trailers and everything. The movie began and we left at like 330. So it's like two and a half hours, about three hours long. It's it's pretty long. It doesn't feel it, but your your day will be gone before you know it. (laughs) But I think I think it's worth it. I do think it's a beautiful film. Yeah. So, so especially for fans of musicals, you feel like this is this is going to be one that's going to be more satisfying yeah. than than for some some previous yeah. efforts. And uh, no, but that that makes sense. I mean, I, I think that when you're talking about a genre like this, you almost kind of have to kind of see it for its different parts, exactly. right? Because it's the the music is such a key part but it's something that can be kind of extracted and looked at separately from the story. And, and if, if those parts aren't coherent, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, cause that's, that's what you described is that it seemed like it's kind of an either or yeah. situation where either the music was good and the story was lame or the music was forgettable and the story was good, you know, and, and this you're saying in the Heights brings that together. Yeah. So, so now I have not seen in the Heights, um, but Interestingly enough, I did see a documentary that is remarkably similar in a lot of ways um, because it is also set in New York uh, during the summer of 1969. And uh, it's, it's a music documentary about a, the, the Harlem Cultural Festival, uh, again, through, uh, through the summer of 1969. It's called Summer of Soul. It was filmed, you know, 50 years ago. And then the footage was just kind of put on the shelf and forgotten about for decades. And it's kind of one of these things where, you know, I I think the original producer just didn't really, couldn't really find either a distributor or a network to broadcast it or whatever, whatever it was. And so the footage was just kind of archived. And uh, uh, Questlove, the the drummer for The Roots, who's the uh, Jimmy Fallon's band on The Tonight Show, uh, was able to get a hold of it and turned it into a documentary which is remarkable when you consider who actually performed at the Harlem Cultural Festival in the summer of 1969, because you've got everybody from Stevie Wonder to B.B. King to Nina Simone to Sly and the Family Stone and all these other, I mean, it's, it's just really incredible. If you, if you have any kind of appreciation for you know, late 1960s, early 1970s soul and R&B and funk music and even, even like gospel music, uh, this is just really amazing to see. It, it reminds me a lot of uh, 
a couple of years ago, they put out kind of a similar production of a uh, performance by Aretha Franklin with the, uh, I think this was the Southern California Choir called Amazing Grace. And uh, it was turned into an album that I actually got years ago because I'm, you know, a big Aretha Franklin fan. And so this Summer of Soul is, I mean, on the one level, it's just this series of incredible live music performances by just some of the best, again, R&B and, and soul artists of all time, you know. Um, and if, if Questlove had just sequenced some of the highlights of these performances and just put it out, it still would be fantastic to see. What's really interesting, though, is the context of the time, because this was uh, in the, you know, about a year after Martin Luther King had been assassinated and, you know, Robert F. Kennedy. And, and so, so this was kind of a, a transitional time for civil rights and, and especially kind of the, the black community in, in Harlem and in New York. And so as you're watching these performances, there are a lot of interviews with, uh, you know, musicians and performers and different people who were involved at the time, kind of reflecting on what was going on in the community and what was kind of being represented. You know, on the one hand, you had Sly and the Family Stone, which is, you know, a band that at the time was very groundbreaking because it had male and female members and not just female singers, but like, you know, there was a, uh, one, one of the, the female members of the band played the trumpet and, you know, and so, so, you know, not just, cause it wasn't just like your, your obligatory female backup mm-hmm. singers. They were just like, the whole band was just fully integrated and it was also integrated racially as well because, you know, Sly, uh, you know, was black, but uh, the drummer was was white. I think one of the horn players is white as well, and so it really was kind of this very symbolic, uh, you know, production and and unit, and so you kind of have that on the one hand, but then on the other hand, you had some of the the artists who were a little bit more, you know, kind of angry and and kind of pushing back against, uh, you know, the different, you know, racist attitudes and, and different things, and so so it's it's kind of sobering, right? Because you, you see what's going on there. And of course, you're obviously thinking about what's going on yeah. now and how those things compare. But then you kind of take a step back and it's just like, wow, that, that really was just a really amazing portrait um, for, for all of the, the high points, the low points, the incredible music, you know, just a real, real interesting watch. Um, it's only about, I think it's only about an hour and a half. No, it's, it's just shy of two okay. hours. Um, but well worth checking out um, for various reasons. Um, you know, the, foot, the footage is really incredible. There's a lot of really up-close and personal uh, footage and uh, some just some great performances. At one point, um, Mavis Staples and uh, Mahalia Jackson do a duet version of a gospel song called Precious Lord, Take My Hand, which is really kind of a, a gospel standard. And, you know, just... You really just get this incredible range, and and of course, you know, watching Stevie Wonder, you know, just kind of do his his thing, and it's and it maybe kind of like in the same way that In the Heights connected to you personally. This this is a kind of uh, a music and a an era that I've been listening to since is I was a little old? kid. And no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, I my. No, my my parents raised yeah. me on Motown and, no, that's and, so and a lot fun. of stuff. And, and so not and only so, is the music incredible, but like 
kind of this time capsule of a very special time. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. No, really, really an interesting watch. And so even if you're not a huge fan of that music, um, it's still just a real, you know, did like you say, just a great yeah. time capsule. So, and that I believe is now streaming on Hulu and in theaters. Sweet. So, uh, it's, uh, out there ready awesome. for you to check out. Lots of, lots right? of newish stuff, which we haven't been able to say <laughs> exactly. in a while. Exactly. We ought to so. catch as much as we can now. Oh, um, it's funny. You brought up um, Aretha Franklin during that, just mentioning all the different artists. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, during um, In the Heights, during the trailer reel, there was a, a trailer for a new movie coming out about Aretha Franklin called Respect. Did you hear about this? Right. Okay, yeah. Right. Uh, I haven't I haven't okay. heard much about it. I know that it's Jennifer oh, Hudson, yeah. right, is playing and Aretha Franklin. She looks yeah. fabulous in it. Like from the trailer, it looks like it's going to be really good. And kind of that same deal with like just the music and the experience. Ex- experiencing the trailer in a movie theater and hearing that sound, it just it was pretty incredible. So a lot of fun stuff coming out in that genre. It's it's nice to have some things Absolutely. to look forward to. That's for sure. Nice. Well, and, and uh, hopefully more episodes to come of the Utah Film Pod will also be worth looking Absolutely. forward to. But uh, thanks for, yeah, thanks, Danny. And uh, thanks for all of our listeners for spending some time with us. And uh, I would preview what we're going to be talking about next time, but maybe uh, maybe keep an eye on utah.film, the website, because we'll, we'll post uh, written articles and reviews and other material as well. Um, but uh, until next time, Danny, do you have anything to sign off with? Any, any, any no, final just thoughts? Thank you for listening again. We'll catch you guys next time. Yeah, for sure. And be excellent <laughs> to each other. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being here.